0: Hello and welcome to MASH Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of hit 1970 sitcom MASH. I'm Ethan.
1: And I'm Vanessa. So Ethan, unfortunately we have some sad news. It was announced this week that Dan Wilcox, one of the writers for MASH, passed away. Um, We haven't gotten to any of the episodes he's done yet, but most notably he was one of the writers for the series finale. So we wanted to pay a little tribute to him and thank him for the work he did on MASH.
0: Yes, um, we have not gotten to any of his episodes yet, but very much looking forward to those. And it's very sad that he passed away.
1: Yeah, so just wanted to say a little something, but we're gonna get on with the rest of the show.
0: Yes, going from that sad note, let's try to be a little lighter. So, in this episode, some thirty eighth parallels. No, I said that all <laughs> week. <did. laughs> I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> In this episode, some 38th parallels, Frank hatches a scheme to sell the camp's garbage to Korean civilians, Hawkeye has some trouble in the love department, and Radar befriends a wounded soldier.
0: Thank you for taking over the duties for me. I <laughs> apparently couldn't say parallels, so we needed you to come in and, and score the point for me. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, Vanessa, what did you think about this episode, though?
1: I liked this episode. This was a, this was an interesting one for me. I really liked uh, where the writers went with each little storyline. Um, I thought that tackling what they did with Hawkeye was a really interesting thing to do. And I was mm-hmm. actually really surprised. I remembered this in the back of my head. But when I was presented with it, I was actually shocked at how explicit it really was. And we'll get into it. But I really appreciated it.
0: Yeah, the Hawkeye storyline in this episode is not graphic or like gross in any way but it is like bold i am surprised that they were like doing this kind of thing at this time in the 70s i imagine that they had to do so much to like skate around the sensors it's it's just really surprising and i like this episode for other reasons too but obviously hawkeye's storyline is the, the thing that like is is kind of odd and unique about it you know what i mean
1: yeah definitely um and i like you said you liked this episode for other reasons too i think that the main storyline with radar was really impactful in a really meaningful way and i liked to see radar kind of be also be affected by the war and the issues going on and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so overall pretty good episode
0: Yeah, um, maybe the weak link is Frank's garbage plotline, but even that was kind of funny. I was like, you know what, man? Do the grind set. Do the try to sell literally everything you can for no good reason. I liked his different ideas of how to make the camp money.
1: (laughs) The fact that you said Frank Burns is the weak link in this episode, I think Frank Burns is the weak link regardless. (laughs) Oh,
0: sure, sure. (laughs)
1: So the first scene in the episode sets up all of these will-be scenes um, mm-hmm. very well, I think. And I just have to mention, so they're in the OR, and Frank comes up with this hair bl- Frank comes up with this hair-brain... Hair... Wow. Okay.
0: Now you can't speak. Now How I does it feel?
1: <laughs> Frank comes up with this idiotic plot to sell the camp's garbage because he sees the Korean civilians um, taking it. From where it's dumped like 25 feet or something away from the camp. And at first I was like, okay, Frank, he is worried about like infection and stuff like that. That's great. No. No, no, of course not. Of course not. So Frank comes up with this plan to sell the garbage, and Colonel Potter kind of is like, yeah, sure, whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. And I just have
1: to mention the New Jersey slander that uh, happened yeah.
0: in this OR scene. <laughs> this was iconic. This was the best line in the episode. Uh Hawkeye says, first we'll give them a taste of our garbage, and then they'll want New Jersey. And I was like, (laughs) yo!
1: (laughs) I kind of loved it if the writers were from New Jersey. I looked it up, I couldn't exactly tell where they were from, um, because there was not a lot of information on them. But, top notch, if they're making fun of New Jersey from a place of love. Bad, if not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm down for, like, almost any New Jersey joke. Like, one of my favorite jokes in, like, Futurama is, like, they find a really good apartment and then the guy says, like, oh, but it's in New Jersey. And then they're like, oh, well, there isn't a place remotely livable. I'm like, a great joke. <laughs> Anything making fun of the state that I'm from, I, I am here for.
1: <laughs> I do like the New Jersey slander in terms of we're laughing with you, not at you. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Especially that like Loretta Swit is from New Jersey. So I'm like, what if this was a, a sweet dig at her? You know what I mean?
1: And Hawkeye said it. And I'm pretty sure that Ellen Alda, at least at some point in his life, did in fact live in New Jersey. So I'm like, okay, I mean, this softens the blow a little bit, but but I I'm watching you writers. I am watching you.
0: I mean, who isn't from New Jersey? The the secret sauce of Hollywood is that everyone immigrated there from New Jersey. No <laughs> one's native to anywhere except the Garden State.
1: Yeah. And if you aren't native to the Garden State, you've lived in the Garden State. And I'm pretty sure we've said that before.
0: Yes, I, I guarantee you. They could probably make a compilation of the amount of times that we've referenced being from New Jersey in this <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
1: we should do that that'd be fun um (laughs) so moving on from the new jersey slander which i now feel ambiguous about but (laughs) this is where we also get the setup of um radar worrying about this soldier throughout the entire episode because um there are so many wounded that they have to put a soldier out in the like waiting area or whatever it is and radar notices that um his iv has come like unstuck to him or uh, like uninserted or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And BJ says, oh, wow, I'm so glad you noticed that you probably saved his life. And Radar just feels this sense of pride that he saved this person's life. And I thought that that was so cute. It makes so much sense because Radar, again, is supposed to be canonically so young that this would probably be like the first time he did save somebody's life.
0: This was the first time in a long time that I felt like Radar was like a kid. He, he plays it so well, where he has this, like, childlike joy and enthusiasm of, like, you're telling me I did a good thing? You're telling me that, like, I added some uh, positivity to the world? That's amazing. And I, uh, as the episode goes on and how it kind of resolves, I thought they also played it pretty well with him, where it wasn't like BJ was, like, crossing the line of, like, Oh, you're like responsible for this guy, like, but it was like right on the the line of like, yeah, you can interact with this guy, like I'm gonna give you a thumbs up. You are a part of this without it coming like, I don't know, centering too much about radar on this man's health, you know, where it's like a very bad,
1: yeah, absolutely, and I think that we should talk more about this storyline now because. Throughout the episode, Radar then feels a sense of responsibility to see to it that the patient makes it through and is okay and stuff like that. And um, and like you said, it doesn't get overly extended, I guess, in terms of Radar, of course, is not actually responsible for this person's well-being. Um, mm-hmm. He just feels that sense of responsibility and and is invested in his health for the rest of the episode.
0: Yes, it's Radar's investment in this guy that I really liked. That he was, you know, peeking over the door, and then later, um, when Colonel Potter was like giving him a checkup, he was like, "Oh, this guy's all good," and uh, Colonel Potter's just like, "Oh, thank you, Doctor Radar," like very sarcastically, mm-hmm. and they're you know doing puzzles together. I thought it was all very like not overbearing where it's like this guy is so important to radar but like very natural for him to become like all oh, right let me let me check on this guy let me see what he's up to what he's let me see what he's like as a person you know what i mean
1: yeah and i think that the bonding that radar has with the soldier after he you know starts to recover is really natural because mm-hmm. Radar again is supposed to be like 18 19 years old so this soldier would definitely be closer in age to Radar than probably a lot of other people who are at the camp because of you know you're surrounded by like doctors and nurses which you know take some training and some skills so they're definitely not as young as Radar probably um yeah so it would definitely make sense that Radar would have this connection with him even after he starts to get better and of course they we can't ever let these poor people be happy and I knew that from the very beginning and I was still shocked and upset
0: (laughs) see I didn't know that from the beginning I should have expected some like melancholy to balance it all out but I don't know it's radar man I feel like he's usually so separate from most of the sad things that happen in camp other than like Colonel Blake dying you know what I mean um him having this like nice storyline where they do like Weird nudie puzzles together. It was like, oh, this is still like a delightful thing for radar to do. And then it's just like, oh, by the way, this episode is actually Sometimes You Hear the Bullet. We forgot to mention that uh, in the beginning.
1: Yeah, the parallels between this episode and Sometimes You Hear the Bullet were so strong, like unbelievably strong. <laughs> um, because for context, this soldier, of course, he passes away. Um, I don't know if they exactly explain what happened because he was on the bend. He was doing better. And then, you know, BJ explained it like sometimes these things just happen where mm-hmm. they, especially if it's like a head wound or whatever the case was. And he didn't get better. Um, And he he died. And I thought that it was really interesting that parallel, like I said, between this episode and sometimes you hear the bullet because yeah. BJ essentially has. Almost the same conversation, I feel, with with Radar as Henry did with Hawkeye, um, even though it's a little bit different, like the context is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But BJ says to him, like, hey, it's okay to cry. Like, you're a human being and you felt this connection with somebody that just died. Like, it's okay to be upset about that.
0: Yeah, I really like BJ's role in this scene and kind of throughout this episode kind of being... An authority figure to Radar in a way that he hasn't been before. Um, and I love that they don't actually explain how this guy, uh, passed away, like, what the actual problem was, because that kind of doesn't matter. Um, BJ even says so. Like, I could explain all the medical jargon to you, but it doesn't matter. Like, this guy just was kind of unlucky. And I think... In terms of it paralleling, sometimes you hear the bullet. In that episode, Hawkeye was responsible. He was the doctor there. But in this, Radar's just a guy who became his friend. So it's like a totally different feeling of responsibility, but it carries the same kind of weight, and I, I just find that very interesting. This episode has a lot of interesting things going on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that you're exactly right. And one other thing that I really liked about BJ in this part, too, was that BJ said to Radar, you know, that he also cries all the time and mm-hmm. kind of understanding that Radar needed some kind of like permission to cry. And mm-hmm. BJ was like willing to give it to him, kind of like breaking down the toxic masculinity type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I, I don't know that this like you said, this episode had a lot of interesting things that it did and this was absolutely one of them.
0: Yeah, I wonder if the, like, it's okay to cry thing is also kind of like a thematic parallel to uh, Hawkeye's storyline where that very much is about him needing to relax, you know? um, That's not something that I really noticed until we, we talked about it. That's very interesting that the two storylines are very separate, but they do share kind of a similar, like, theme in terms of, like, men needing to live their full emotions, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. And speaking of that too, why don't we transition into Hawkeye's problems in the love department, shall we?
0: Yes. This uh this is quite bold. I'm surprised that they did this. I cannot overstate that.
1: Yeah, like I said, um I knew that this was brought up because I remember this episode, but um I, I was really surprised that they were willing to bring it up in in the way that they did. So for context, uh Hawkeye has a date with Nurse Abel. And just an aside, I thought that Nurse Abel and Hawkeye were really, really cute in this episode. Like they were very like flirty and had a lot of lines together. And I really I really liked them together.
0: She was so understanding, dude. I kinda loved her. She was perfect for the storyline, you know? It was just kind of lovely.
1: <laughs> she was. She was really good because like I feel like lesser people would have shamed Hawkeye for this. So again, for mm-hmm. context, um Hawkeye has the state with Nurse Abel after they are finishing up in the OR. And I don't know how to put this really like delicately, but I guess Hawkeye is suffering from like a temporary impotency. Um, and Nurse Apel is like, Hey, listen, it's fine. This happens to everybody. it's It's okay. And Hawkeye is really self-conscious about it because he's like, you know, this is this has never happened to me before. I've I've never had these problems before. And he also goes to BJ to discuss it. And BJ did a lot of emotional work in this episode. And, and I really appreciated that about his character because he rationalizes it to Hawkeye. Like, of course, this is going to happen to you. You've been dealing with the war and stress and pressure for so long. Like, of course, it's going to physically manifest at some point. And that conversation with BJ actually really does help Hawkeye. Um, And then later on in the episode two, he discusses it with Colonel Potter. And Colonel Potter also says, hey, listen, you're a doctor. You understand that this is normal. This has been a problem for me, too, in the past, um, just so you know. And I just really liked how the writers weren't shying away from this at all and Mm -hmm. they hawkeye literally said oh i'm impotent like he put it in no uncertain terms like what the problem was and i really have to also commend alan alda for being willing to do this storyline because Mm -hmm. i the idea of impotency is like really emasculating and stuff like that but it is a real problem and it really does happen to people and i don't know i think that the show handled it with like a lot of sensitivity and nuance and care and i really liked it
0: yeah i like that no one made fun of hawkeye for this problem everyone is like hey man there's a lot going on here it can happen um and i thought this was a very interesting and very good follow-up to last week's episode where that was entirely on hawkeye's shoulders and he was going through this extremely stressful situation and have this week be about kind of the consequences of Hawkeye's stress in a way that we don't normally see. Like, Hawkeye is not normally presented as a guy who really carries a lot on his shoulders. He kind of generally can figure out ways to blow past it. But with this, it's it's obviously, like, subconsciously manifesting on him, even if he doesn't want to admit it. And it was just a really interesting follow-up to last week.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't even really think about that. Like, I didn't think of the continuity of it because these episodes are typically so self-contained. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a really interesting way to to think about it. Um, yeah, I, I think that that makes tackling this issue even better um, because it makes sense in the continuity for Hawkeye's character. Yeah. So. Like I said, I really appreciated that they included this because I feel like this is still, unfortunately, something that's taboo and not talked about a lot. And I'm really glad that they that they chose to do it.
0: And uh, I have to call out B.J. for a hot second because Uh-oh. he he does give good advice to Hawkeye, saying like this happens, it's normal, it it doesn't mean you're not a man, blah blah blah. But being kind of like. Eh, heh, heh bj when hawkeye acts like oh has this ever been a problem for you bj just kind of smiles and goes like no um you know kind of <laughs> kind of like asserting his like you know cool guy status over him i guess but i'm like you're married you're very faithful you've not needed to uh test out this hypothesis
1: (laughs) right exactly bj has never tried to have sex in a war zone after he had a massive head injury
0: (laughs) so of of
1: course he hasn't had that problem like fuck off bj
0: (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah but for real though i was like come on man i know you're being like a cool funny haha bro but i'm like you Actually, don't have the experience to say that I'm better than <laughs> you in this scenario.
1: <laughs> yeah, but to be fair to BJ, Hawkeye did ask, and that's where uh, I sure. feel like he gets validation also from Colonel Potter because Colonel Potter says, "Hey, listen, if it makes you feel any better, I experienced the same thing during mm-hmm. World War One." So I think that I think that BJ was being like a think about it, but also I think <laughs> that he was just being BJ, and I think that that I think that yeah. treating it like that way also um was probably helpful to Hawkeye to not feel so eh about it.
0: I, I suppose.
1: <laughs> I'll defend BJ with my life. Anyway. Wow.
0: <laughs> so the storyline ends in a pretty funny way. Like I thought this was also kind of a bold statement where it ties in Frank's um garbage auction uh where earlier in the episode Frank has this garbage auction which does not go as well as he, uh, imagined it would. He first tries to sell garbage for $50. They bump him right back down to a dollar, and he has to build up from there. And Hawkeye, uh, tells BJ that, like, hey, whatever the highest bid is, put me five over so I get all the garbage. And they're all like, huh? Why? But in this ending, we do find out why.
1: Yeah, just to back up a little bit where uh, Frank is getting permission to sell his garbage, sell the camp's garbage to these poor Mm -hmm. people who, like, uh, it's trash. Like, don't sell trash to people who are poverty stricken and in a war-torn country. Just, you know, just as a good rule of thumb, probably don't do that. But I thought it was so funny that Colonel Potter... Um, Like, the only reason Colonel Potter really, like, let him do it was because, one, it was in the regulations, and he was like, whoa, really? And yeah. then also, just to shut him up, because mm-hmm. two episodes ago, when Colonel Potter was trying to get Hawkeye and BJ to, like, be friends with with Frank, he was like, he's driving me nuts, please just do <laughs> anything with him. And I, I feel like this is just a continuation of that, because... He just wants Frank to leave him alone. So he's like, all right, well, if he can sell garbage for 25 cents, sure. Have at it, Frank.
0: The continuity in the show is a lot stronger than we give it credit for. All the character motivations do track from episode to episode. (laughs) It's true. Um, Also, I have to say that even though I do think it's very funny that Frank is being like a, a crazy entrepreneur guy trying to sell garbage... He starts this conversation by saying like, hey, we're dumping garbage 25 feet from our camp and other people are taking it away. So there's like genuinely no issue. They do not have garbage (laughs) near their camp anymore. It's all being taken away by the the native Koreans. So he's just like trying to insert a middleman where there does not need to be a middleman. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, he calls it un-American to get nothing for nothing. And I think that the writers really were just, well, we'll get into this in the end of the episode, but they were really, like, going hard, low-key, on, uh, like, fake patriotism and stuff, and I thought that that was, that was, like, a refreshing thing to pick up on.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, The anti-patriotism in this episode, I think, is really funny in the way that it escalates, that it goes from, like, isn't Frank kind of a doofus for trying to impose American trash, say that American trash is worth something to, um, in this episode, there is this Colonel who is just causing a lot of medical problems. Like he's generating more wounded than it's worth. So Hawkeye resolves this problem by buying all of Frank's trash getting a helicopter and dumping it onto this man. And again, I thought it was pretty bold. This this resolution was like classic M.A.S.H. This was classic M.A.S.H. commentary in my mind.
1: It really was. Um, And <laughs> not to do this to you again, but just to back up uh, a little bit, when Hawkeye and B.J. and Colonel Potter are all in the mess tent, um, with this colonel, who, like you said, is causing a lot of medical issues. Um, he was the reason that the that the soldier who radar was friends with was wounded in the first place. And they kind of they sprinkle that into this episode uh, in the beginning when they say he's a colonel who's not really, um, very careful and he leads his men into a lot of dangerous battles and seems to not really care about bloodshed as long as they get their end result of killing the enemy um and i feel like i could be wrong but i feel like the show has given us characters like that before
0: yeah definitely the kind of like prideful not really thinking about people as human beings characters definitely been the show been in the show before where you know He's talking about his like kill ratio like it's a video game. I know they didn't have video games back then, but like the video game aspect of like, well, I am like 9.5 to 18 losses. You know, whatever he says, like crazy Mm -hmm. statistic that he throws out that reduces people to like a math equation. And then like you got Hawkeye, BJ and Colonel Potter being like, people are in a math equation. They are human beings with, like, (laughs) souls. Um, Yeah. We've definitely seen this before, but this is, like, maybe the most extreme of it. I don't know.
1: No, I don't think so, but... I think that we've actually had episodes where it's like, that's the main plot of the episode. And that's kind of where this episode fell a little bit flat for me. Um, And maybe it was just because I was expecting it to be more focused on the kernel, like it was in the past and like, it certainly will be in the future. Cause this is not the last time we deal with this kind, this type of character. But yeah, I think that you're exactly right. When um you say that the, that this was pretty intense commentary of Hawkeye having Literal trash dumped on this trash person. Um <laughs> so he definitely got his in the end.
0: Yeah. And then the the final resolution of this is Hawkeye dumps all his trash and then he sees the nurse that he's been trying to date the entire time and they go into her tent and like have a good date, let's say. <laughs> and like that's kind of an insane resolution to this episode. I know it's saying like Hawkeye can relax; he's got stuff off his chest. But I'm like, t- he dumped trash on a man, and then it was like, you know what? I'm all good. Let's go. Like that's just <laughs> really funny to me.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting about Hawkeye's character that he's like, okay, well, now that I've uh, I've
0: <laughs> unloaded my trash, <laughs> I've
1: symbolically like just dumped on the heads of war. <laughs> um, he can go. He can go relax and have a good time. Um. Mm-hmm. But the real ending of this episode really got me, too, because it ends with everybody at a movie and everybody having a good time. And then you pan over to Radar and Radar is still kind of in this this state of shock. And he's really like living with this, the, the fact that this soldier that he cared so much about and that he had this connection with died. And I liked that they didn't really like resolve it. They really Mm -hmm. didn't come to a conclusion where Radar felt okay at the end, like dealt with it and then moved on. You were kind of left with this feeling of like, oh, this is going to stick with Radar. Like this is something that he's going to carry with him. And it really reminded me of what Gary Berghoff said in the new special uh, about M.A.S.H. that came out just recently um, when he was talking about how a veteran had come up to him and said M.A.S.H kind of opened up a a line of communication between this veteran and his wife to discuss the issues that he was having related to PTSD and the war and stuff. And I just feel like this was not probably, but (laughs) this might have been one of those times where the show was like, hey, remember that this is sitting with people like the things that they've seen and experienced are definitely still beneath the surface and they're still in their heads and stuff like that. So. I re- I really liked that.
0: No, this one shot at the very end of the episode where it pans over the radar and he's just sitting with the fact that this man who was his friend had died, like, that fully bumped up my rating of the episode. Maybe a full star. We'll see. Um, It just, I don't know, again, speaks to, like, the boldness and how, like, this is kind of... A, a quintessential, like, classic M.A.S.H. episode to me. It kind of, like, tackles everything in a M.A.S.H. way. Um, and and it felt, like, kind of like an early season episode, too. Like, mm-hmm. it was more, like, risque and more focused on the, like, military commentary where it, it felt, like, back to basics almost, you know? Like, this ending shot, I feel, like, was saying, like, okay, this show... We're going on for a little while, but we have some more to say. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of a lot of the things that I picked up on in the first few seasons in the early episodes, it was reminding the audience that of what people who experienced were were dealing with. And I feel like that was just so apparent in this episode with this shot of radar. Um, that trauma doesn't just go away at the end of 30 minutes, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I did. I really I really liked that. Just that one ending shot was just so great.
0: Yeah, it really completes the episode. Like if the episode ended with Hawkeye dumping trash on a guy and then everyone kind of like laughing it off, it would have been a fine episode. Like this episode's pretty good. But ending with that, you're like, okay, I see what you're doing here. There's some artistic intention in the show, you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, definitely. So I think that wraps up our discussion about this episode. So, Ethan, do you have any favorite lines that came out of this episode?
0: I do. When Haka and BJ are alone in their uh, tent together, and BJ is watching his socks, BJ just says, should we call some people in, or are we going to be boring by ourselves? And I was just (laughs) like, that is a mood. That's me every Saturday <laughs> night.
1: No, seriously, same. Me too. That's great. Um my favorite was when Frank is setting up his little auction for the trash and he's talking to Colonel Potter about it and he says the least you could do is wish me luck and Colonel Potter just looks at him and says, "Luck." And then just goes back to what he's doing. Amazing. Lovely Colonel Potter.
0: What a passive-aggressive king. We love him. <laughs> It was so good. Also, I have to quick shout out when Hawkeye's date is kind of going awry. He is like, "Okay, instead of like making out or whatever, how about how about an Oreo first? And I just thought that was very funny that he's like, how about an (laughs) Oreo?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was very weird that they just had Oreos and that he was just able to shove in this nurse's face just out of nowhere.
0: branded as an Oreo, too. (laughs) (laughs) we love to see. I didn't know they had Oreos in 1950. I thought they were like a 1970s invention. No, apparently not. (laughs) So, Vanessa, do you have any trivia for us in this episode?
1: I do. So, I have some trivia about our guest stars this episode.
0: Ooh, the the mean colonel once again. The various <laughs> mean colonels on this show.
1: Yes, so um, mean colonel number five thousand at this point um was played by Colonel Hagen, and he actually played Colonel Coner in this episode. Ooh, okay. So Hagen was born in April 1928 in Chicago, Illinois. Hagen's parents were ballroom dancers. Interestingly
0: enough, that I did not know was a career. That's an impressive <laughs> uh job to have
1: (laughs) yeah definitely hagen began acting in the 1950s and was a guest star on many tv shows throughout his career such as bonanza gunsmoke perry mason daniel boone the twilight zone and knots landing he was also in a lot of westerns which makes sense
0: because he kind of like has the western look you know yeah very gruff very uh authoritative
1: yeah and this will actually not be his last episode of mash either he'll guest star again in season eight as a different character
0: Okay, so one of those guys once yeah. again.
1: <laughs> and Hagen is best known for the role and the role that I know him for as Doc Baker from Little House on the
0: Prairie. Oh my God, we have a Little House on the Prairie rep. You love Little House on the Prairie.
1: I do. I was saving this for trivia because I was so excited. And if longtime listeners of Mash Mouth will know that I got into Mash because it was on after Little House on the Prairie. <laughs>
0: That's so funny. I think the conversation that started this podcast was a like one-two conversation talking about MASH and Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> so the, the two are interconnected for us yep. forever.
1: Yes, they are.
0: <laughs> Stay so, tuned for 2035 when we do a Little House on the Prairie podcast.
1: <laughs> That'll be the day. So unfortunately, Hagen passed away from esophageal cancer in 2005 at the age of
0: 77. Oh, that's a shame.
1: Yeah, it, unfortunately. Um, and he was he was truly one of my favorite characters on Little House on the Prairie, too. Now that I now that I think about it, he was he
0: was just great. I'm going to have to actually watch that show now, even if we don't do a podcast on it. I like me <laughs> to fill in the Vanessa lore. It's so cute.
1: Um, so I also have some trivia on George O'Hanlon Jr. as Private Gerald Phelan, who was the soldier that Radar befriended, who passed away.
0: My note on this man was big ears. He had big ears, and we loved that.
1: <laughs> okay, I did not see that, but sure. <laughs> O'Hanlon Jr. is the son of George O'Hanlon, the voice actor for George Jetson on the Jetsons cartoon.
0: What? No way! That's
1: awesome. I them. know, I know. Isn't that so cool? So O'Hanlon Jr. started out by acting in TV movies in the 1970s, some films including Our Time and Where Have All the People Gone. According to IMDb, he was in the original Halloween movie in 1978 as an uncredited part.
0: Okay, (laughs) that's fun.
1: I thought that that was pretty cool. O'Hanlon Jr. also guest starred on several TV shows, including The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries, Quincy M.E., Magnum P.I., Baywatch, Star Trek Next Generation, and most recently in one episode of Lost.
0: This man has been everywhere. I love those kind of guest stars. They're my favorite kind of guest star.
1: That guy, as you like
0: to refer to them. <laughs> as I often do, yes.
1: So O'Hanlon Jr.'s last role was in the movie Battleship in 2012. And from everything I could find, he is still alive today, but seems to act very sparingly.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you go out on the high that is Battleship. What else <laughs> is there to conquer?
1: Yeah, truly. Like, how, how, can, you, how can you even top that? <laughs> and finally, last but not least, I have some trivia on Lynette Meddy, who played Nurse Abel in this episode.
0: Ooh, where hand all the bases? One of my favorite nurses in the show. She was so kind. <laughs> yeah, she
1: was great. So I couldn't find that much on Mehdi's career, except that she was born in Tarrytown, New York in 1943. She was a guest star on a lot of popular TV shows, including Hogan's Heroes, Columbo, All in the Family, Hawaii Five-0, and Trapper John, M.D.,
0: Oh my god, we truly have hit all the bases in terms of trivia (laughs) guest stars uh, this week.
1: Yeah, Medi seems to be one of those ladies, you know, one of those guys, one of those ladies. (laughs) Sure. Medi had actually been playing a nurse on M.A.S.H. since season one, and this is actually her final episode. Oh no! She gets a final speaking role and then she's out. Oh, I kind of mm. hate that. I know, so sad. And I couldn't find anything online that she passed away, so I believe she is still alive, but She okay. also doesn't seem to be acting anymore because her last credit was in the 90s.
0: Okay, well, we we respect retirement here. What can we say? Absolutely. Retire. Enjoy your years. Yeah, not everybody needs to be 95 years old and still working for the working for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The things that you come up with to say are just unbelievable sometimes. So, Ethan, what was your martini rating for this episode?
0: Probably 3.5 out of 5, honestly. It may not be a 4, but it's all there and it's all good. You know what I mean? Like, it's not spectacular, but this is a classic MASH episode that's like really solid.
1: Yeah, I agree. I also give it a 3.5 out of 5 because I yes. just. I just felt like the the plotline with the colonel was kind of shoehorned in there just to like be able to have like a funny thing of like dropping garbage on somebody. You know what I mean? And yeah, not that, that it's fair. Not that it didn't work for the episode. I, I think that it really did. But I was just wanting a little bit more from the plotline of the mean colonel, um, the colonel who didn't care about his soldiers dying. um. I feel like that was shoehorned in there just a little bit because of of Hawkeye wanting to dump garbage on somebody, but it also worked for the episode, so it wasn't terrible, but I do think this is definitely a 3.5 out of 5 for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like, this episode is super solid, and it's even better than, like, better than average, you know what I mean? But it doesn't hit that sweet, like, 4 out of 5, like, ooh, ooh, this is a <laughs> chef's kiss episode, You, know, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Frio-Balka, for your about confirming our technical consultant, Melissa, Vanessa's sister, for awesome cover art, and, of course, our listeners. Links to our music, social media, and contact with the show are in the description, as always, and join us next week for Season 4, Episode 21, The Novocaine Mutiny. But until then, buy a bunch of garbage and use it well. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone.